Before I share my story, I want you to take just a moment in your mind to picture all the many tables you have sat in your lifetime. From your table growing up in whatever place you grew up, uh, to the lunch table perhaps at school, to uh, perhaps you'll remember a first date that you went on uh, somewhere along the way and what it was like to eat at table with someone that mattered to you other than immediate uh, blood relatives. Perhaps it was Thanksgiving tables you remember around different members of your extended family or maybe it was just the immediate family that was around the Thanksgiving table. Uh, think about the most recent table you sat down uh, to, to share a meal or to eat even by yourself. Uh, think about all the many tables where you've been, where they were located. Maybe some of you have never gone further than a, a few hundred miles from here and all of the tables have been pretty close or a few hundred miles from wherever you are. Uh, not just here, but there. Uh, and there is here. We're not going there. Um, you know, you may not have gone very far, or you may have traveled internationally and eaten in a variety of places. You may have, uh, think fondly of the homes that you've eaten in, places you've been invited, where that table became a place of sharing. And an intimate connection. I know over the last four weeks, I've sat at table with uh, Appalachia Service Project fellows and enjoyed a meal with uh, each of them in different times and places. I was able to enjoy, Linda and I together, were able to enjoy a meal with my parents. And then on Friday, uh, we went up and saw her mom. And so we had uh, a meal with her mom uh, we've had meals with friends and together and our children, uh, at least one of them uh, in the last four weeks. And I think of the rich place that the table is, a place where we gather with people we know and we don't and are accepted and loved and invited and changed by being accepted and loved and invited, and we are transformed and we experience love. We experience love in its many forms. Sometimes it's a little bit formal and sometimes it's totally casual where we feel like we can truly be ourselves at that table, where it doesn't matter if we know exactly what each of the seven forks lined up next to the plate is about because we're with people that love us and are more interested in us than they are in which fork we used and whether or not it was the correct one. Uh, or whether or not we used appropriate grammar in every sentence and whether that shaped or did not shape how we saw. You see, the table is everywhere we go. Now, I have to tell you, I'm very sad to see the table series go, but it's, it's a series. And you see, the thing I know is not going anywhere is this table. 
And you know, the thing I know that's not going anywhere is the tables that you're going to be sitting at or even are sitting at, if you're at home perhaps, to join in this experience of worship. And at that table, God invites you to be you and loves you as that person. Today's uh, biblical story comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. And you can be thankful to Mark Hayes and Butch Barton for today's sermon because sometime back at Soul Space on a Tuesday night, we were sitting together doing Lexio Divina. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up online, but it's essentially sacred reading where you read the text and anticipate God speaking and you study it and you restudy it and you re-listen to it and you listen for the nuances. And Butch and Mark and I sat together on a Tuesday night on Zoom at eight o'clock and we have been working through the Gospel of Mark. We're still in chapter eight. I don't think we've quite crossed into chapter nine, although I have been wrong before. I'm pretty sure we're still in chapter eight but uh, several weeks back, we did chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And I want you to hear this story. In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now, there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. This is the gospel for our Lord, of the Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. In those days, there was again a great crowd with nothing to eat. You see... What's interesting to me about this story, and one of the things that we caught, of course, is this is not the first feeding of a large crowd story in the Gospel of Mark. This is like the second big crowd story of feeding. And yet, when Jesus says, you know, I have compassion on these people, they're hungry, let's, let's feed them. The disciples, who have seen him in another situation feed everybody, say, hey, how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to do that indeed? Um, with only seven loaves of bread. There's so much going on here, and it's such a wonderful text for us to take a look at. First of all, uh, 
If we had read the leading up verses to this part of chapter, uh, this beginning of chapter 8, we would know that Jesus is in the Decapolis, which is to say the ten cities, the area of the ten cities, which means he is in a Gentile region. So he is teaching a crowd of non-Jews. His mission and understanding have been stretched beyond the people that he grew up with, the people that he knew immediately. He's already been stretched to share the table with someone besides just uh, other folks like him. Uh, now, these are Gentiles. And they're in the desert. And they're hungry. Now, that echoes back to the Jewish people wandering around in the desert, uh, lost, and God provided for them. And once again, we have this image of Jesus who has compassion on these hungry folks who've been listening to his teaching, hanging on his word because they're hungry. Now, that hunger thing is a dual-edged sword. It's not just physical hunger. They came to hear Jesus because they were hungry for something more and something different in their lives. Something more than Roman oppression, something more than being considered outsiders all the time by their Jewish sisters and brothers. They were tired of that and they were hungry for something more. They were hungry for something that would show them that they were more than they imagined they could be. And so in the middle of nowhere, in the desert, Jesus, who has compassion on them, says... So let's feed these, let's feed these folks. And the disciples said, you know, we've only got seven loaves of bread. Only have seven loaves of bread. Now what's interesting about the number seven, used all over and over again in the biblical story. It's a number of perfection, of completion. It also means enough. We have enough. That's not something we hear very much. Let's just be honest, we're Americans, there's no such thing as enough. If we have something, we always need more. If we have the latest car, we need next year's latest car already. There is never, ever, ever, ever enough. Turn on the television, the advertisers will tell you, that's not enough. No matter how much you make it work, that's not enough. You know why? Because there's somebody that has more than you, and you want to catch up with them. There's only one person in the world that has won. I don't know who it is, but they have more than anybody else, at least for now. Next week, somebody else may have overtaken them. But there's only one person that doesn't have to beat anybody else because they've already got all the stuff. They have enough. Only I suspect that even if they have enough, they don't think they have enough because we are always yearning to fill a hole inside of us for something more. And the problem is, as long as we think it's about stuff, it will never be filled. It will never, ever, 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 ever be filled. The anticipation of the receiving will be exciting. Now, I speak from personal experience. I was doing pretty well until October. I don't know what happened in October. Maybe it was, that it was my birthday month. Maybe it was that we've been on the road and traveled and seen some people. I don't know. But 
up until October, one book a month. One book a month. This month I have lost track of how many books I have bought. I have lost track. And do you know what the most exciting part? It's pressing the, you know, place order. Buy now. And then the next most important and exciting part is anticipating when it will arrive. Oh, my goodness, when is that Amazon guy going to come to my, yes, and it is Amazon, the Amazon guy or gal coming to my front door. Why haven't they arrived yet? I ordered it 15 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the anticipation just builds and builds and builds. And then it comes. And you know what? I don't even remember why I ordered the book sometimes. <laughs> you know, was that a footnote book? I was reading a footnote of a footnote of a footnote, and it said something about this book, and I bought this book. Why? Do you ever get notification that a package is about to be delivered, and you say, what did I order? Well, that has happened to me in the month of October. In a way, it hadn't happened in the nine months prior, because there's no such thing as enough in my world. Well, Jesus gets the reply from the disciples, there are seven loaves of bread. The perfect number, there's enough. There's enough with God's grace for all of us. There's enough to go around. So Jesus lifts it. It almost feels like communion, doesn't it? He gives thanks for it and he breaks it. He gives it to his disciples, not so that they can eat it, but so they can distribute it. And they distribute it to the crowd plus a few small fish, which Jesus also blesses, and they give around. And suddenly, seven loaves of bread, which is enough, leaves seven baskets of leftovers. There are enough leftovers. I don't know for what, but there are enough. This table is a place that invites us to recognize so many things and there are things that we miss in this life. And enoughness is one of those things. There's enough. Jesus has done this miraculous feeding thing once before. And now in chapter 8 does it again. And the disciples are still surprised that there's enough. Are you often surprised when there's enough in your house as well? when there's enough in your life? Or is the answer, it, it's never enough? It was enough for 4,000 people to not have to go away hungry. For people who Jesus wouldn't normally share the table with because they were not Jews, and the whole cleanliness laws of the first century would have excluded them from table together, Jesus made the table in the middle of nowhere. And the table became the table because people shared their food together. There was enough to go around. And in sharing, the table became everywhere. You see, so often I think of and have in the past limited my thoughts, and it is a limit. And it's an inappropriate limit, by the way, because God is limitless. My thoughts have been about table, and when I first started dreaming of this series, I somehow thought that it was about this beautiful piece of wood 
multi-pieces of wood that are uh, put together in a beautiful fashion and handcrafted and given to us as a congregation. Handcrafted for us. I looked and I thought, this is the table I'm talking about. But you know, this table is only a symbol for all of your tables. And for tables you've never been to yet, but may one day go to. The table you may pop over to have a meal at today. This week we've been having conversations with uh, our daughter Hannah because Hannah, it's clear to us now, Hannah is staying in Atlanta. You know, uh, it's been clear to us for a little while and we know that she's staying because she bought a condo. And she closed on a condo yesterday. And, uh, or day before yesterday, yesterday was Saturday. You know, life just blurs in my life. And she said it was anticlimactic. She said she walked in to close. 20 minutes later, she walked back out, having signed some documents, it was over. <laughs> she had some keys in her hand, and she had some movers to meet to move her stuff from where it was into this place. Well, one of the conversations we had on Thursday night, on Friday night, in, in, in Hannah's place, she's FaceTiming with us. I, I don't know, that was like the fifth time that day. And she's like, I just got to get rid of my dining table. There's just no room. There's no room in my apartment now for my condo for that. There's no room for the table. And I'm kind of, you know, I, I, it, it kind of seemed to me like a call out to the bigger reality of most of our lives. There's just not room for a table in our lives anymore. We make our food and we go and sit in front of the television and watch. Or we uh, make our food and eat it while we're walking around. There are some days when I feel like I'm so busy and I'm not. But let's imagine I feel like I am, at least in my mind, which makes it a reality for me, I suppose. I am so busy that I make oatmeal for myself as a lunch, uh, as a lunch delicacy because I'm a beige guy and I'm into beige food. And I like beige food. Uh, I could eat it three times a day, but Linda loves me and keeps me from doing that because she won't eat it three times a day. So we do not have oatmeal. But I was having oatmeal. I had made my bowl of oatmeal. And I had plenty of time to sit down at the table and to enjoy mindfully this wonderful bounty God had provided me. But instead, I held the bowl in this hand. I held the spoon in this hand because, of course, if you're going to eat oatmeal, you want every drop, so you use a spoon. None of this fork stuff. And I ate it. And I ate it, and I walked around in the kitchen. I didn't even walk around the entire house. Our kitchen is about this size over here. It's plenty of room for us to cook and things. But if we're being really honest, I did not need to stay in the kitchen. But I, I didn't even use the power of the table. And this was this week. This was this week I did this. I've been talking about the table, and I didn't even use our table to sit down. I think we're losing something in this bigger world in which we live. The common table. The table where we can sit down with friends and take these things and drop them on the floor. Yes, that was my cell phone. Maybe it will still work after I pick it up later on. We'll find out. But if it doesn't, I don't know how much worse off I'm going to really be. How many of us 
I watch people, we, we haven't been out to a lot of meals, but we've been out to some where people sit at the meal across the table from each other, both of them on their phones. I'm like, why did you even go to dinner? <laughs> why are you even in the restaurant? Now, sometimes they're texting each other. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't even know what to say. We've lost the art of table. And as I bring this series to a close, I want you to recognize that every table that you sit at is sacred. That every person with whom you sit at table is sacred. That whatever food you're eating there, whether it's bread and the cup, whatever it is, or whatever it is, Christ is in that meal with you, in the breaking of bread, in the sharing of that cup, whatever it is. Even if you drink out of different cups and you have different loaves of bread because they make sure they bring you several if you're in a restaurant. But whatever it is, Christ is present there. The table really is everywhere. Here and at home, you who are watching from home, you who are here in this room, when you go home, wherever it is, the table is everywhere. Christ is with you everywhere at that table. I want to challenge us all, and that includes me. I'll try to give you a report sometime soon about whether I ate any of my meals this week walking around the kitchen like this. Chances are fairly good I'll forget one day and I'll just do it. But I want you to have at least one good meal this week where you sit down at a table, and by good meal, it could be a peanut butter sandwich. I think that's a pretty good meal, too. But you could sit at the table. Sit at the table and be thankful for the table. See in your mind, even if you're by yourself at that table, people who have shared a table with you before. And be thankful for those people, even if they're not with you now. Be thankful for the things that have happened at table. Some of the arguments, as well as some of the joyful uh, sharings of celebrations, birthdays and anniversaries, funeral meals, memorial meals, where we sit down after a funeral and we eat with people. In all of those places, God is. And God invites you to be, too. So my challenge to all of us this week is not that the table series doesn't end just because I'm not preaching anymore about the table. We get to keep eating at the table and being thankful for it and trusting that God will be present in it. One of the things we do every week at St. James is to pray together. And I don't know if uh, Linda has anything that I need to know that has come in uh, prayer-wise. No. That's, that's good. Because oftentimes what we hear on March has something that just came in.
the Perry family. We will keep the Perry family in our prayers. We continue to keep Donnie and David in our prayers, hoping that today is the day when David is still at home. We haven't heard anything different, um, but it does change from day to day sometimes. Um, I want us to pray for all of us who are carrying heavy burdens, and that's probably all of us in one way or another, the heaviness that we need to slough off, that we need to let go. I want to pray for each other that we'll find strength to let go of the things that seem to hold us and weigh us down. I want to uh, invite us to pray for those who are fighting for every single breath now, whether it be for cancer or COVID or whatever it may be. I want us to pray for the great disparity between the haves and the have-nots in our world. Uh, because it's not because there's not enough, it's because some of us are exceptionally greedy. And uh, I want us to pray for both, and the great disparity, and for vaccine disparity. Our poorer sisters and brothers, our siblings around the world, aren't getting vaccinated, uh, not by choice, as we do sometimes here, um, but because it's just not available for them. It's just not available. So we will begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray together. Lord, you're always present. There is never a place we go that you aren't. There is never a table at which we sit where you aren't present with us in the food that we share and if we share it with others in the company that is there. Every person matters. Lord, help us to find the tables where we will be accepted and known and loved for who we are. Because in your kingdom, that's every table. But it's not always the way we feel about the tables here. Help us to know that whatever table we find ourselves at, you love us just as we are. You love us unconditionally. And to you, we are infinitely precious. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for one another. We pray for the Perry family, for David and Donnie. We pray for all those who are carrying heavy burdens, probably all of us in one way or another. We pray for those who feel alone, alienated, broken, and lost. We pray that we might build bridges. We are, after all, bridge builders at the intersections of everyday life. We pray that our love will become something real, something tangible, something that other people see and know and feel through the power of all tables, the tables that you have set, because indeed your table is everywhere. We pray that your love will reign. You know, we know love never fails. You, it's right there, 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. All sorts of things are going to fail, but love doesn't. 
So help us persevere with you in being love in this world. God, for our hungry sisters and brothers, siblings around the world, for those in need, for the great disparity we see, we pray for a better day, and we work for a better day. We lift all of this to you in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus, the same Jesus who modeled for us a prayer, saying, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.